and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? We're going to see three points today. The first thing we're going to cover is the Jewish people's wrong approach to Scripture. We're going to see the wrong approach, we're going to see what the right approach should be, and then we're going to cover their indictment. So first, their wrong approach. Jesus calls upon the third witness and quickly addresses how the Jewish people have come to Scripture in the wrong way, how they've approached it incorrectly. While Scripture is important, even necessary for people to know who God is, it ends up being misused. But before jumping into their mishandling of the Old Testament, I want to point out simply one aspect that the Jewish people got right. Right? Look at the very first part of verse 39. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. Now, we could focus on that back half to start, but we're going to focus on the first half. What does he say? You search the scriptures. That's a good thing. That's a good thing that the Jewish people are doing. At least if they're doing it with the wrong motivation, at least they have a baseline starting point that they're at least searching the Scriptures. They see Scripture as a necessary thing for them. right? If the Old Testament had never been given to the Jewish people, they would have had no word from God in all of human history. God would have never spoken. All hope would be lost. There's no chance of getting to God. God first has to speak to us in order for us as sinners to have any chance of being reconciled back to him. And the Jewish people understood that, at least as a baseline, that the Old Testament was at least important enough that they had to search it, that they had to commit themselves to this baseline idea, right? This is a baseline idea that doesn't exist necessarily in our culture anymore. Right? The Bible is simply viewed as an antique Lydia has a friend that she grew up with that has been going through some issues in life, and they grew up going to church camp together, but now this friend of hers has come out as an atheist, right? But yet she still says, but I still read my Bible sometimes because it has some cool things to say in it, right? This is, this is what the Bible is seen as by a lot of people in our culture, by the vast majority of culture, right? We're going to pick the the, the positive-sounding, poetic kind of cool stuff in it, but everything else, forget about it. We're going to take the cool part and we're just going to dismiss all the rustic, old-fashioned stuff that we don't like. This is a reminder for us as Christians that our baseline, our very starting point as believers, is that we have to know that Scripture is necessary. It has to be our starting point. If we want any hope of knowing who God is and how God wants us to live, we have to understand that God has spoken to us. Otherwise, we have no chance of knowing what he wants from us. But then we do get into their problem, right? It's not just that the existence of Scripture helps everybody. You have to have a certain approach to Scripture, right? And this is where we see the Jews make their blunder. Verse 39 again. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. The problem is what they're seeking in scripture. They think they can find life in scripture itself. 
not in the person who spoke Scripture, right? We get this distinguishing mark that's going on here, right? The Jewish people were putting their hope for life in the Scriptures, not in the person who spoke the Scriptures. So what happens is the Jewish people have become bogged down by the details. They've become obsessed with the rules to the extent that they've lost the intimacy with the one who gave them the rules, the one who gave them the commands. Instead, they are seeking life. They are seeking their salvation by simply being able to control their behaviors. As long as I follow the rules, right? As long as I know the rules and follow the rules, I'm righteous. I'm good to go. But notice what Jesus points out here on the second half of verse 39. And it is they that bear witness about me. Scripture is not meant to just be a list of rules. It's meant to be a witness to a person, Jesus. The whole Old Testament was meant to make God known to his people, make the Father known, and ultimately we know the Son known to the people. Yet they've missed this in their approach. They've seen Scripture as their end goal, not the one who spoke Scripture. Because of this approach, they end up with a detrimental result. Verse 40. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. They refuse Jesus. The one that all of Scripture was meant to point towards, all of the Old Testament was meant to point towards Jesus, and they refuse to receive Jesus when he shows up. The one in whom all things have existence, the one Jesus himself in chapter 1 of John's Gospel is called himself the Word. Right? This ultimate revelation of everything that's been going on in the Old Testament, the Word, and the Jews reject him because he doesn't fit inside their mold of what their approach has been to scripture. Jesus doesn't come saying, here's all the rules to follow. Instead, actually, he heals a man on the Sabbath, and they say, you're breaking our rules. You can't be the Savior. They think scripture is this list of rules that will make you righteous, but if that's what you think about the Bible, if that's what you think about Scripture, then you're going to fail to recognize true righteousness when it shows up, like it does in Jesus. There's a famous author, his name is Francis Chan. Maybe you've heard of him or read some of his books or something, but he tells this hypothetical story with his daughter of how, kind of revealing of how many Christians approach Scripture. So he says, if I tell my daughter go clean your room. And she goes off in her room for two or three hours and comes back to me and says, Dad, guess what? I memorized what you told me to do. You told me, go clean your room. In fact, I can repeat it in Greek. Would he be happy? Would that father be content? That he gave her a word and she simply memorized it. Or maybe she comes back and says, you know what, Dad? I'm going to have some friends over tonight. And we're going to discuss together what it would look like if I cleaned my room. We're going to have a small group about cleaning my room. But it never got done. 
how many parents would be happy with that? It's a wrong approach to the Father's Word, just like the Jewish people. The Scriptures were meant to reveal a person, not just a list of rules. So you have to first ask yourself, what is your approach to Scripture? Because it's not just enough to say, I believe Scripture is God's Word. You have to approach Scripture in a certain way if you believe that. We can approach the Bible incorrectly. So I have a few examples for us. First of all, one that we've already kind of talked about is we have people and Christians in our culture who fail to approach the Bible at all. Right? Scripture is purely a decoration in life. If your life is a Christmas tree, Scripture is an ornament that you're hanging on it. You come to Sunday and hear it, and you have Bibles maybe on your bookshelves or on your end tables at home, but they never get cracked open. Right? The Bible is no different than the flowers that are in the front of your yard. In fact, your flowers probably get better taken care of than the Bible. So there's a failure to approach it at all, but then there's those who do approach it, but maybe have the wrong approach. So some approach the Bible as a bludgeon, right? That scripture is something that I can just grab and hold over people's heads in order to show them how terrible they are. We see this aspect in the lives of the Pharisees, right? The religious leaders of the Jewish people kind of like to use scripture in this way. Or maybe you even use it as a way to try to stir fear in yourself. I'm going to hold the Bible over my own head in order to try to scare myself into acting the right way. But you never find God's grace in it. That's a wrong approach. Or the last one, and this isn't an exhaustive list, but the last one is we can approach the Bible as simply a mental exercise. Much like the example that we saw from Francis Chan's daughter, we can see scripture that we are seeking to have it known, but only for the sake of knowing it. There's never never any correlation between one's mind and one's heart. And those people end up no different than these Jewish people, simply missing Jesus. The Bible has to be approached with a goal of intimacy, with the one who spoke it. To have intimacy with Scripture, but not have intimacy with the Father or intimacy with the Son is an oxymoron. It can't happen. You only truly begin to please God when you truly begin to know Him. This intimacy is the witness of Scripture itself, that true life is only found in the person of Jesus, which leads us to our second point, the intimate witness. I call it the intimate witness for a twofold purpose. First of all, it was meant to draw intimacy with the one who gave it, right? But also, it's a witness that the Jewish people were intimate with. They at least had a close relationship to Scripture. Even if they approached it wrongly, they had a commitment to it. So they were intimate with it, but ultimately missed true intimacy, in the person that they were meant to be intimate with. So while Jesus gives a clear description of the Jews' wrong approach, let's take a moment 
and find the right approach. First of all, Scripture is meant to be a witness of Jesus. Verse 39 again. You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. The purpose of the witness of Scriptures was to bear witness about who Jesus is. We talked a little bit about this last week. I gave a whole list of things in the Old Testament. Let me give you just a few more of things in the Old Testament we see that point towards Jesus. We see Abraham is called to sacrifice his son which is a foreshadowing of the Father sacrificing his own Son in Jesus. We see 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles. What do we see? We see kings in Israel, right? The very first king of Saul all the way through when they, the nation split into Israel and Judah, the north and the south, and they have all sorts of good and bad kings. The whole point of all of that, generally speaking, is that every single one of those kings failed. Even though some were called good and did some righteous things, even the one who was called the man after God's own heart, David, fails. He's still a sinner. The whole point is to show that in all of Israel's history in the Old Testament, all the kings are imperfect. There's a yearning, a longing for a day when the perfect king is going to show up. Or Jesus already told Nicodemus, right? Remember back in Numbers when the Israelites were getting bitten by snakes and he says, what saved them? The bronze serpent was lifted up and whoever would look at it would be saved. And he says, so also must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believe in him might have eternal life. Or we look at the prophet Jonah who spends three days in the belly of a fish And we see in the Gospels that that's interpreted as what? The sign of the resurrection, that Jesus will spend three days in the grave. Everything in the Old Testament was meant to stir people to a person, to God, or for them to recognize Jesus when he comes on the scene. But their lack of intimacy with God, their rejection of Jesus, displays that they were ignorant of the purpose of this witness. And it wasn't that scripture just witnessed of generally everything about Jesus, though there are a number of things about Jesus, but Jesus narrows it in here of what it was specifically about Jesus that it was witnessing of. It was life to be found in Jesus. The pursuit of life was not a bad pursuit for the Jewish people, right? It's a good thing for them to recognize we're dead and we need life. Yet they thought they could find life in Scripture itself, and that was a futile pursuit. But we see in verse 40, Jesus clarifies it for them. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Everything in the Old Testament was supposed to point towards you need life, but life is only found in Jesus. So the Jews have this wrong approach, and because of their wrong approach, they fail to see Jesus as the life giver. They fail to recognize that it is 
through Jesus dying on the cross and being resurrected from the dead, that that is their true hope for life. That is their true hope for their forgiveness of sins. It's not in the following of the rules. It's the fact that they could never follow the rules, and the one who dies on the cross is the one who did follow all the rules. He is the one who was perfect. He is the one who was blameless. And all of his righteousness is given to them as he is hanging on the cross and takes all of their sin upon him. But they missed it. They didn't realize, like Ezekiel tells them, they have hearts of stone. They didn't realize the only way to have that heart softened and made into a heart of flesh is by Jesus. They didn't understand that their external behaviors would always be filthy rags apart from the righteousness of Jesus. They didn't realize that no matter how blameless they were with the law, they will still be dead in their sin without Jesus. They didn't realize that their sacrifices and their offerings throughout the whole Old Testament would be a stench to God without having a humbled heart through faith in Jesus. So the whole point of Scripture was not just the letters of Scripture, but it's the person of Scripture. What the Jews ultimately failed at was relational intimacy, which is really the only true version of intimacy. They settled for what I call literary intimacy. They were intimate with the letters of the Old Testament, but they failed to be intimate with the relational person of who made those letters, of who spoke those letters. And nothing could be more tragic as they focus in on the microscopic details of the rules of Scripture, we find that creation has now lost touch with the Creator. We find that we have sinners who are rejecting their Savior. We have those who are dead abandoning the only one that can give them life. We have those who are hostile pushing away the one who is the peacemaker. And we have the adulteress who is forsaking the husband that's willing to forgive. Scripture always has and always will be for the purpose to draw us to intimacy with the Father through faith in the Son. Do any of you have voicemails or text messages saved on your phone? because they came from somebody you have a relationship with? But let me ask this. How many of you save the voicemails and keep them in your saved inbox of telemarketers that call you? Anybody got voicemails saved on your phone of those who are telling you that your car's warranty is running out? Probably not, right? Or those random text messages you get. Lydia's been getting these crazy ones where it's just like she randomly gets texted from a number she doesn't recognize and it's just an email address. That's all it is. Wow. You're not even telling us what to do with it. Like, anybody have those saved on your phone? Probably not. Unless it somehow just kind of got archived by accident. But those text messages you do save, those voicemails you do save, or maybe even handwritten letters you have that you do save, do you save them simply because they have letters on them? Or is it because of the person that wrote those letters? 
Was it because of the person who spoke that voicemail or typed out that text message to you? It's not because they have letters on them. Otherwise, you would save every piece of junk mail you get because it has letters on it. You cherish those things because of who wrote them. So we have to ask ourselves the question, does my time in God's letters, God's word, scripture, does it lead me to intimacy with him? There's a reason why many people call seminary a cemetery. Right? Anybody ever heard that joke before? I've heard it like three times since I went to seminary. Like, I get introduced at a church before, and they're like, oh yeah, he's going to a cemetery. I mean seminary. And, I mean, it was on purpose. There's a reason they call it that. I've seen it. I've lived it. Where people sit in the classroom with these godly professors in front of them and try to pick out any detail they can that they might correct the professor because of their mental knowledge is that much better than everybody else. Or I've heard of one of my former youth students went off to study for pastoral ministry and he was having a a conversation with one of his parents' friends who isn't a believer. And rather than showing grace and love and mercy and trying to witness this guy, this guy asked him a question and he says, that's the stupidest question I've ever heard. The arrogance, right? I've seen it in my own life, right? I, I went through this own stage in my own life when I first went to Bible college and I thought that if anybody didn't understand all the context of the passage that I was talking about or the passage we were studying, that I must be so much greater than them. While you may not be studying the Bible and the details like a seminary student would, we all can be guilty of the same problem. When you hear a sermon preached on Sunday morning and it's talking about some sort of sin in life and you're looking around and you're finding that sin in everybody else in the congregation except yourself. Or maybe you read a passage and you, you try to live it throughout the, that whole day that you go through. You read a devotional or a passage or whatever it is and you actually find at the end of the day that you actually were able to, to do pretty well at it. And you become prideful and arrogant that you were able to follow through that passage without ever recognizing God's grace to empower you to do it. Or maybe it leads you to the point where you pray every day, but you never once dwell on who God is. Instead, it's all about what you want to request of him. Scripture was meant to cultivate intimacy between us and God through faith in Jesus. It's only in this approach to Scripture, this right approach, seeking intimacy in this approach to Scripture, that we will actually find our souls warmed to Jesus. Which leads us to their indictment, as they are seeking glory from men. What we see is that the Jewish people's souls had grown cold towards God, towards Jesus, their approach to the Bible was not without a motivation. They, they were driven in their approach to Scripture by a desire in their hearts. And we see that desire begin to be articulated here by Jesus. But first, we see Jesus' approach here in verse 41. I do not receive glory from people. 
as Jesus goes into the indictment, he first describes what his pursuit is not. He says, I don't seek glory from men. I don't need your recognition of me. We saw this before, right? Jesus has come out of love for these people in order to save these people, but he's not defined by these people, right? Jesus is not coming to them, begging on his hands and knees, pleading them of, just please, please give me glory. Please believe in me. Please, please. He's not, he's not pleading. He's not desperate for their glory. He doesn't need it. Instead, he's come out of love so that they might seek his glory right not that he needs their glory it's that they might seek his glory this should give us an indication as we're coming to the jewish people and their indictment of what's going to be the problem with them but first we go to verse 42 but i know that you do not have the love of god in you. The hard-heartedness of the Jews is now being revealed to them. We've heard other perspectives so far with these other witnesses, right? We saw with John the Baptist, you were willing to rejoice for a while. That was their indictment. We see that with uh, God the Father, it says you don't see him, you don't hear him because you don't have his word abiding in you. But now we hear what might be the most straightforward indictment towards them so far you have no love for god can you imagine hearing this as the jewish people the jewish people who memorized so much of scripture one of which was the one that they taught their children right the shema which says what love the lord your god with all your heart all your soul all your mind all your strength this was what they were supposedly living by. Not only did they memorize it, but this is what you taught your kids. And Jesus comes and says, you have no love for God. Imagine hearing this. And then Jesus goes on to explain his proof. They have rejected God's means. First of all, they rejected Scripture. Right? Not that they've rejected it outrightly, but they've rejected it as God intended for it to be read because they've sought a different purpose for it. They've sought it as not intimacy with God, but they've sought it as their list of rules to live by. But also, not only have they rejected Scripture, they've rejected Jesus. Verse 43, the first part. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. Jesus has come in the name of the Father. Jesus as the one who is one with the Father, right? The one who is united with the Father. The one who is a member of the Trinity. And they haven't received him. Instead, what have they done to him? They've questioned him. You can't heal somebody on the Sabbath. Who are you to say you can rebuild the temple in three days? even to the point where they've sought to kill him. And we know, ultimately, they succeed. They did the same thing with the prophets all in the Old Testament, right? They mocked them and sought to kill them, even did kill some of of them. They're doing the same thing with Jesus now. And Jesus is saying, clearly, you've rejected Scripture, you've rejected the prophets, then you're rejecting the one who's come in the Father's name now. How could you say you love God? You're rejecting the people that God is sending you. You're even rejecting God's own word that he's given to you. 
And then he tells them what they do love. Since they don't love God, look at what they do love. Verse 43, the second half, and then going into 44. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? What do they love? Glory that comes from other men. Somebody else can come in their own name, in their own human name, not in the name of the Father, and they will receive that person. We've seen this in Jewish history, and even after Jesus is gone, as he ascends into heaven after his resurrection, we see this in the Jewish people. We have other people show up and claim to be the Messiah, and they're more willing to accept them rather than Jesus because those people fit the mold of their approach. They continue the theme of it's just a bunch of rules to follow and we're going we're gonna to make war with Rome and we're going to f- defeat their kingdom and make our own kingdom. And, and that's what they wanted the Messiah to be. So they accepted those men. But instead they reject the glory from the one who has come in the name of the Father. Their foundation for their whole approach to Scripture was they wanted other people to approve of them. Think about it. Whose opinion matters at this point in history for the Jewish people? The religious leaders. The ones who tell them all the rules that they have to follow. Those are the people that they want to please. Those are the people they want approval from. The religious leaders are the ones who get to say what behavior should be glorified, what behavior should be honored, and what shouldn't. But remember what Jesus calls these religious leaders? Whitewashed tombs. He says, you might look good on the outside, but you're dead on the inside. So think about it. Whitewashed tombs are the authority of approval for this society. What is the rest of society going to look like? Probably pretty dead. If you're seeking the glory from those who are dead rather than the glory of the one who gives life. They failed to seek after what God intended, what God desired for them in Scripture, which was that they would know Him, that they would be reconciled back to Him from their own sin. And so because of that, they've neglected their intimacy with God, and it ends up in nothing for them but graves. There's this new phenomenon that's kind of risen up in the last 20 or 30 years of what they call empty nester divorce. Now, it's actually not nearly as high as maybe some things you've heard, but the numbers have either doubled or tripled in the last 20 or 30 years of people who, once their kids are out of the house, the husband and wife, feel like they no longer love each other or know each other. They just stay together for the image in front of their kids, right? Their focus has become so on their children or their jobs or whatever it is that now they have to live just with each other and it's just not there anymore, so they would say. If I remain faithful to my wife simply for the sake of the external image that it gives me, would you say I love my wife? If I say 
I'm going to remain loyal to her, faithful to her, so that my kids will see a good marriage, or so that society will think I'm a good person. It's useless. I have no affections for her in that scenario. No love, no warmth towards her. It's the same thing in your approach with God, in the way that you approach Scripture. When you begin to lack intimacy with God in your life, you're going to end up seeking approval from men. Scripture makes this clear distinction throughout all of Scripture, not just this portion, but you're either seeking the approval in life, either the approval of men or the approval of God. That's it. Think about situations in real life, right? Things that we may see or have already seen in our culture or maybe in your everyday life. If a school requires a teacher to teach curriculum that directly opposes Scripture, that teacher is faced with two decisions. I'm either going to please God or I'm going to please men. Or when a boss asks you to bend some rules or change something on a form that's already been signed, you're faced with two options. I'm either going to please God or I'm going to please men. Or even in the smaller details of life, when your spouse says a harsh word to you, you're faced with a decision. Am I going to please men, specifically please myself in responding with harshness? Or am I going to please God by offering forgiveness? You see, it's a circular process. Seeking to please God and having intimacy with God influence each other. The moment one of these is broken off is the moment the other one starts to drift as well. When you find yourself not having intimacy with God because you're not spending time in His Word, you're not approaching His Word rightly, whatever it may be, when you're lacking intimacy with God, you find yourself seeking approval from other people. Or maybe you do feel intimacy with God, but you're tempted to seek approval from other people, and then you find that your intimacy is starting to diminish. It's a circular process. They influence each other. So, brothers and sisters... May we seek not only the approval of God, but may we seek intimacy with God. Maybe it'll be the first time today for you to make the decision to trust in Jesus. Maybe you don't understand what it means to have intimacy with God. Maybe you've never had this experience before in your life. And maybe you need to put your faith in Jesus' cross in the death and resurrection of Jesus, so that your sins can be forgiven, so you can be reconciled back to God as he hopes for you. Or maybe, for some of us, we have experienced this, and we need revived, once again, what once existed inside of us. We have to remind ourselves that intimacy with God is found in his word, in the witness of Scripture. So my urge for you today is that your souls might be warmed by the word of God and that each and every day you may seek him and find Jesus, intimacy with Jesus and find true life in scripture. Let's pray together.